He walked the streets and he saw them and he knew them. When he was around, people stopped. When he spoke, people listened. When he touched, people were healed. When he saw, people were freed. And the blind could see, and the cripple walked, and the outcast was brought home, and the woman, she was loved. He saw them, and he knew them. He recognised the individual in the crowd. He loved the one. He looked beyond the outside. He saw into the heart. He welcomed the sinner and he invited the loner and said, come, let's eat together. He entered their homes and he saw them and he knew them. He sat at their tables and he shared their food. He challenged the powerful and he loved the broken. And as she washed his feet with her tears, she saw him and she knew him. He saw them and he knew them. When he spoke, people listened and they questioned and they wondered and they waited and he challenged, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And if you want to enter my kingdom, take up your cross daily and follow me. And it wasn't comfortable because he saw them and he knew them. And he offended people and he taught people and he spoke truth to people and he had compassion on people and he lived amongst people and he gave new life to people. He saw them and he knew them. He saw the man, he saw the woman, and he saw the child, and he loved, and he welcomed them, and he invited them in. He saw them, every one of them. He recognized them, he knew them, and he said to them, you and you and you, I see you and you are welcome. Come and follow me. He saw them and they saw him, but they didn't recognize him. And people hoped and they thought, yes, he must be the one, the rescuer, the Messiah. He must be the king. But then the sun went down and the shadows crept in and it all stopped and night came and they all left. And he was arrested and he stood alone and he was a victim and he was abused. And they asked him who he was and he could have said, but he didn't say a word. They saw him, but they didn't recognize him. 
And so they stripped him and they tied him to a post and they whipped him until his back was shredded and they looked and they didn't see. The people who had seen him and shouted Hosanna, they saw him and they didn't recognise him and now they gathered and they demanded crucify him. And bleeding and exhausted, they led him away. And they put a cross on his back and he dragged it stumbling. And the crowd cheered and people jeered, but some saw and they recognised him. And those people, they mourned because they knew him. Even as they threw him down on the splintered wood, even as they grabbed his arms and they stretched them out on the cross, even as they hammered nails between the bones of his wrists, even as they gazed down at his twisted face, they didn't recognise him. They didn't recognise God's own son. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. So there are some who recognise Jesus and some who didn't recognise Jesus. And throughout history, those who recognised Jesus, their lives were changed. Let's hear another story in video form of another life changed. I was accused of murder when I was 15. At 16 year old, I eventually went to jail and I went to a detention centre called Medemsley. It was very, very harsh. In that place, I was told what to do and I wouldn't do it. I was anti-authority. I had, I had a lot of physical beatings in there. I was put in sort of confinement a lot. And, and it didn't help me. I just thought these people were bullies. So when I got out of there, I was more angry than when I went in. I was in embarrassment of my mother. She said, you know what? She said, you're the son of Satan. You're evil. She said, you're worse than your father ever was. 
Now that was bad to me because my dad was very violent and my mum often raped her. So for me, for her to say I was worse than my dad, was the son of Satan it just got me really angry. And so my next step was to become a football hooligan. Started getting slashed, I got cut up across my face, had my little finger chopped off. I was stabbed four times in the arm and chest. I got a bottle in both eyes, I got no front teeth. I had both my shoulders, my arms pulled out my sockets. It was anarchy. The love to fight the things I did, which I couldn't mention really. I did some very, very, very seriously evil things. I was evil, I was sheer evil. By 1995, I was a tramp, and I didn't realise this then. The inside of my body was shutting down, so all I did was drink, take drugs, didn't eat. I didn't realise I was getting septicemia. I had malnutrition and dehydration. In March of 1996, some people turned up on the street and they said to me, do you know Jesus loves you? And I chased them. Jesus, my nana sang about Jesus when I was a kid. There was no such thing a week after they came back. And I seen these Christian men and women on the street for the next six months. One morning I woke up, it was just a normal day. And I got my drink and my drugs and I collapsed. I was rushed to hospital. I was in a coma for six days. My mother was asked to come to the hospital. She went to the hospital. I was dead. I had my last rites on the sixth day. The consultant said to my mum, there's nothing we can do. So she said, can I have a few more hours to think about it? So my mum went out of the room and there was a lot of people there coming to say goodbye to me. And then Tony, my mate, said to my mum, there's some Christian lads here. And my mum went, what good is that going to do? How can that help him? He's dead. And they said, well, let's pray for him. So they went and prayed for me and they put their hands on my head. And they said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, give this man your life. And I woke up, sat up, pulled the mask out my mouth. I was alive, come back to life. But it wasn't just a miraculous waking up in a coma. I woke up totally different. I knew I'd never drink again. I'd take drugs, I'd smoke. I wanted to help people. I actually thought I'd gone insane, to be honest. And these Christian men said to me, do you know what, Grant, you need to go on an alpha course? So I said, what's one of them? We went on the day awake, so on the third talk of the afternoon, and I stood up, and I said, Jesus, this is the exact words, I've never forgot it, it was November the 9th, 1996, a quarter to three. I said, Jesus, and I've been told you love me, and I kind of believe that you love me, but it's not enough. I need to know something in my heart. And as I said that, and I said, sorry, will you come into my life? I fell back into my chair and I was crying. I, I couldn't stop. At that moment, as them tears flooded out my eyes, I knew where I was from. I knew who I was and I knew what I had to do. So that night, 10 o'clock, I went back to the streets of Middlesbrough, full of Jesus, and I began my ministry. That was 19 years ago, and ever since then, that's what I've done. I've gone, I've told people about Jesus, I've run 141 Alpha courses. There's a couple of things I say to people on the streets or in the prison when I first meet them, because they're full of doubt, you know, I was doubtful, and I say, well, Grandma, how do you really know that, you know, you didn't just wake up out of a coma? Now, maybe I did just come out of that coma by, coincidence. But I often say, 
درسنا عن إنياز وعظل أنت ويعرف يو where did the violence go where did the anger the rejection and not knowing about love where did that go in one night Jesus is supreme love that's what changed that's what changed Graham Seed so if it changed Graham Seed it can do it for anyone had an encounter. Graham Seed had a supernatural experience. Something happened that changed the course of his life. Believe what you will about what happened in that coma, but Graham Seed woke up a changed man. And he made a change. His life span around. And he lived transformed. There's something about this man, Jesus, that when people come into contact with him, their lives change. There's something strange about this man called Jesus that when people have an encounter, a supernatural experience, a spiritual experience with this person, with God, their lives change. Something amazing happens as a result. And we saw it with this man on the cross as well. And I'm left now with questions. The skeptic in me is asking questions. I've got doubts. I've got thoughts. What on earth is it about this Jesus that leads us to completely change our lives? What is it about this man called Jesus that when we learn, when we discover that he knows us, he knows our name, when we discover that and our eyes open and we see Jesus, what is it about him that changes everything? He was beaten bloody, skin ripped from flesh. It says in the scriptures that he was beaten so bad he was unrecognizable. And yet there's something about him that meant when the criminal on the cross next to him looked at him, he recognized exactly who he was. And he didn't see a friend or a companion or a healer. He saw a king. He saw a king. If he saw a healer, he would have said, Jesus, heal me. Or if he saw a miracle worker, he would have said, Jesus, save me. I don't want to die. It was something much more than that. He saw a king. He saw a king and he said, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. Remember me. I deserve to be here on this cross, but you don't. You're a king. And you're not just a king. You're not just a king amongst other kings. You're not just a king of a people group. You're not just a king of the Jews. You're the king. You're the king. And above all else, above whatever my needs are right now, all I know is I want to follow this king. Despite the fact that I'm hanging on this cross dying. With my final breath, 
I'm asking not that you might take me off this cross, that I might live longer. No, I'm asking for something greater, that the king, the king, would remember me. There's something about this man that over history, when people have looked into his eyes and discovered that he knows who they are, that when they open their eyes and they see him, it changes their lives. That when you recognize Jesus for who he is, it changes your life. It changed my life. It changes my life. It will change my life. There is something about this man. He's God. He's God. There's nothing else on this earth that you could call king in your life, that you could put a crown on that would offer what he dares to offer you. And I've tried putting crowns on things in my life, on relationships, on experiences, on all sorts of things, success, promotion, life, career, whatever. I've tried to put a crown on it, and it doesn't offer what I'm looking for. Only Jesus dares to say, If you put the crown on my head, you'll know life in all of its fullness. You'll find meaning and purpose. You'll find fulfillment. You'll find peace. And he offers it here and now. He offers it here and now. Jesus didn't say, okay, when you die, then you'll come into paradise. He said, today, on this day, you will know paradise. That in the midst of your circumstance, you might have a a glimpse of paradise. In the midst of hanging on the cross, you might know paradise. What a claim. There's nothing on this planet ever that can make such a claim. Have you ever taken him up on that claim? Have you ever dared to take him up on that offer? Have you ever dared to say, Jesus, are you real? I want to hold you to that promise. I want to say yes. I want to put my crown on your head this time and see what happens. Have you ever dared to do such a thing? What do you have to lose? What do you have to gain? If Jesus is right, if Jesus is telling the truth, then this could transform your life. But the problem I find is I'm not Graham Seed. I'm not sheer evil. (laughs) Nobody's disagreeing, that's good. I'm not even a criminal. I, I, I've dabbled in all sorts of stuff in my story, but I, I've never gone that bad. I mean, I don't deserve to hang on a cross. I mean, that kind of torture, that kind of punishment was reserved for the worst of the worst. In some ways, you can't blame some of the people who would have heard and seen Jesus and turned away. 
Because if you heard and saw Jesus making all these bold claims, and then another week you saw him hanging on a cross, well, you just said, well, that doesn't add up. No man who promises what he's trying to promise would ever end up there. No, that's only reserved for the worst. That's reserved for killers, terrorists, insurgents, rebels. Not for a king. You, can bl- you, you can't blame some of the people for turning away. And I'm not one of those people who deserve to go on a cross. So how does it fit in with my life? Well, maybe it fits in because he doesn't just promise to reach out to those who are only on their their last breath. In fact, the very opposite. He doesn't come just to to point at people who who have been condemned and convicted. No, it's much more than that. It's a promise for life in all its fullness. It's a promise for meaning and purpose in a world which is trying to offer you that. Have a little bit more and you might get it. Have a little bit more and you might have it. I didn't necessarily grow up reading the Bible and using that as my guide to life. I probably used Bart Simpson's Guide to Life more. Great book. And it would have this in tiny writing on every, every page or so. Turn to page 187 for the meaning of life. And you get to page 187. And then it would say, turn to page 64 for the meaning of life. And you get to page 64. And then it would say, turn to page 203 for the meaning of life. You get the picture. It would go on and on and on. That's what the world does to us. And you can spend your whole life putting your crown on many different things, looking for purpose, looking for meaning, looking for fulfillment. But nothing can quite deliver like Jesus. That's how it becomes relative and important to me. Because he offers what I'm looking for. Maybe he offers what you're looking for. Is Jesus the man he says he is? I think he is. So I have two questions for you. And the first question for you is, have you ever asked him that question? Have you ever asked him, Jesus, are you real? Jesus, what you say, is it true? Or are you a liar? This whole deal, could I put my crown on your head? Have you ever done that? And then the second question is, and this is a question for me, and this is a question for anybody who has answered that first question with a yes, and have met Jesus, and have seen him, and discovered that when you were hanging in whatever circumstance you were, and you said, remember me, Jesus said, remember you, I never forgot you, it's you who never saw me, no, I've been thinking about you every single day. Today you were with me in paradise. If that's what you found after answering yes to that first question, then my question to you, to me, 
is how do we live as response to that? How do we show the world that we've discovered that? It's like we've got the miracle drug. It's like we've got the answer. So doesn't the world need to know about it? How do we show them that? The world's a big place. And that's a hard question to answer, and that's a question only you, in your world, in your workplace, in your school, your university, wherever you are at, that's a question that only you can answer. I remember growing up, two really good friends of mine, still really good friends of mine, they're brothers, Chris and Mark, 16 and 15 at the time, not still. And at this time, they were living in turbulent circumstances. Their mum was a chronic uh, alcoholic uh, and just had no desire to, to sort that out. And their dad wasn't really a dad. He, he, he was more like a bro. He was like their friends, you know. And so he had no problem in saying to the boys one day, do you know what, actually, I've started sleeping with this other woman on the estate and I'm going to go live with her, but I'll, I'll catch you this weekend. And then eventually, not long after that, the mum disappeared, and it was just Chris and Mark. And they were 16 and 15 at the time, and it came to Christmas, and I was telling my parents about this, and they said, well, have they got anywhere to go for Christmas? I said, no. So my parents said, well, why don't you invite them to ours? And they made them extra food, turkey, roast potatoes, all the trimmings. They made the place for them at the dinner table, our family table. And then they bought them presents and they wrapped them and they put them under the tree right next to my presents, right next to my sister's presents. They welcomed them into my family. In that moment, I saw exactly what it looks like to show the world that they recognized the king. What could you do in your life to show the same thing? What could you do next weekend to show the very same thing to the people in your world? The Connect Group I'm in, we hosted a social. We did it round at mine and Laura's flat. And uh, we, it, it was around bonfire nights. We were in the shared garden and there was a fire pit and fireworks. And then eventually five men were there. It was good. And we invited some of my friends, we invited students, we invited our entire uh, block, uh, our neighbours. We invited them all and said, just come along, we want to meet you, we want to hang out with you. And it was great. And, we, uh, and since we've gotten to know this couple who live um, a floor below us, um, and they're a Hindu couple, and they, they actually couldn't come that night. Loads did come, but they couldn't come that night. But they, they sent us a little message, and they said, the reason why we can't come is um, because we're actually, and um, we're about to start celebrating Diwali. And Diwali is a festival uh, in the Hindu faith uh, which worships um, one of the gods uh, that are a part of that faith. I don't know much about that stuff, but we wanted to, we, we thought it was amazing that they had a faith and, and we wanted to, to tell them that we had a faith as well, but we wanted to also honour their decision. And, and so um, Laura painted a, a card, painted a lotus on a card, we made them a card. And, um, and, and I wrote in the card and, and said, we hope this is a really great Diwali time. Uh, and it's, a, it's the festival of lights. And uh, we said, we, we hope your lives uh, are enlightened uh, with life and fun and joy. 
And we said, it's great that you have a faith. And we want to tell you, too, that, that we have a faith. We believe in Jesus. And we'd love to talk to you anytime you wanted to about that. We just hope that this is a kindness, not offensive. And it was just an amazing opportunity in just a very tiny way that we got to show somebody in our world that we recognize a king. And because we do, because we've had that encounter, because we've had that experience, that supernatural spiritual experience, we found meaning and life and peace in a way that nothing else we've put crowns on has ever done for us. But what are you going to do if not next weekend, but tomorrow, Monday, in your school or in your university or in your job, what are you going to do to show the people in your world That's my second question to you. I believe that the pursuit of life and meaning and purpose is the greatest pursuit you'll ever go on. But I do believe it starts and ends with Jesus. This man on the cross who in his final moments could have given up could have in an instant jumped off, could have begged, could have fought anything. But with his dying breath, his last words, he did nothing for himself and everything to the one beside him who for the first time in his life opened his eyes and recognized Jesus and discovered that Jesus had known him all along.